Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking sports locally and nationally. Join the conversation on our social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to another edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. I am your host, Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, it's Padawan J. Hello there. And it's your coach, my coach, the coach, Coach Duffy. Hi, guys. Hi. It, was a, it was a rough weekend. Oh, we're going to definitely get into the action in just a second, but we have to run the, through the socials first. You know how to find us on OchoDuroParleyHour.com. It has links to our Facebook, our Instagram, our Twitter, and so much more. Definitely join in the conversation on social media because we want to interact with you. And remember to use the hashtag, hashtag ODPH because we have a lot to discuss. Mm-hmm. And we first have to kick off with the NFL recap and talk about our locks and leaps. Week one yes. is in the books. Yes. Pad, do you want to start us off? Sure, I'll start with my lock. Uh, I chose the Baltimore Ravens to defeat the Miami Dolphins, and holy sugar cookies did they ever. It really says something when you have a tie in the NFL, which... I would say is usually the standard for like you had a bad week in the NFL. Like if you like if you play a full game plus overtime and you tie, like usually that's like all right, you had the worst week in the NFL. No, when you get blown out by 49 points and it's just an overall embarrassment. Yeah, no, you had the worst week in the NFL. Break down that beautiful stat line. Holy cow. So yeah, the Baltimore Ravens defeated the Miami Dolphins by a final score of 59-10. to Lamar Jackson, who is, uh, as he reminded us all, not bad for a running back, uh, had 17 of 20 passing, 324 yards, five touchdowns. Uh, Mark Ingram had a stellar day on the rushing side of the ball uh, with 14 carries for 107 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, And then you had Marquise Brown doing his team and my fantasy team a lot of help. Four catches, 104. 47 yards and two touchdowns coach your thoughts on this game uh were the dolphins even there uh physically yes because i mean i don't know if this was so much how great baltimore is or how bad miami's going to be because my god they weren't even i mean there wasn't even a pulse and then the story comes out late sunday night that the entire team well, multiple called, people. Yeah, called their agents to request a trade. Yeah, I mean, because you flip to the other side of the ball, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, 14 of 29 uh, passing for 184 yard, 85 yards, excuse me, one touchdown, one interception. Josh Rosen got in the game for a brief bit of action. Uh, one of three passing, five yards, no touchdowns, one interception. They had nothing going on the ball. I mean, Kenyon Drake had 12 yards rushing. Devontae Parker had 75 yards uh, receiving. But outside that, it was just like, a, eh, yeah, nothing. I mean, not even to say, because we we liked Baltimore in the preview show. We thought oh, yeah. they'd be yeah. all right. Yeah. But, I mean, not this good. Yeah. I mean. Holy cow. Holy cow. I mean, so really, though, I, I, I think Baltimore will be okay, and Baltimore fans should be excited by the fact that your offense was able to put up mm-hmm. because that's the biggest question mark they had. Moving from Flacco to Jackson was going to be the biggest change. Yeah. Obviously, you saw Lamar Jackson's performance in the divisional game, so there was question marks there. He put those and shut those down. But again, I think this just goes to back and falls on Miami. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if there's even a uh, what you can say after a game like that when you just you can see the body language in and of itself is yeah. that this team is toast. I would say the defense was already bad enough and this and I'm not 
crapping on this person I'm about to name here by any stretch of the imagination, but you know it, your defense is bad when RG3 comes in, 6 for 6, 55 yards and one touchdown. Yeah, I mean, that's not good. <laughs> no. We said this on the preview show that Miami was going to be hashtag tanking for Tua. Mm-hmm. And, Tank for Tua. And this was above and beyond the call of duty. Yeah. Honestly, Miami might just be that bad. And nothing away from Baltimore. Take nothing away no. from them. They came in there, and Lamar Jackson had a career day and definitely is playing with a chip on his shoulder, which sure. I, which if you're yeah. a Baltimore fan, you have to be excited about seeing. And, I mean, as he should, because that divisional game was terrible. Yeah, right. and, and, I mean, you look at Marquise Brown, who in, like, two catches had, like, 100 yards receiving. Yeah, so this is so promising for the Ravens. And if you're a Ravens fan, you have to be ecstatic about this. On the flip side, Miami, we – thought it was going to be bad and I just didn't think it was going to be this bad and obviously going into week two I don't see it getting any better you want to take a guess what the over-under is on this game for against New England for week two is mm-hmm. it in 16 and a half it's higher oh it's higher now yeah it's higher 18 and a half New England is favored by okay the last time a game was like this with New England I think it was during the Randy Moss era yeah I'm just throwing that out there. Yeah, well, they opened at 16. That's yeah. what the opening line. That's no, what I no, said to you guys. No, it opened at 11. Oh, opened at 11. It, okay. o- it opened at 11 by the end of the early afternoon games when Miami had just gotten shellacked. It jumped to 16 and a half, okay. and now it's up two more points well, to 18 and, then, and a half. And then New England put their shellac on yeah. themselves. Well, the question now becomes, where does Miami go from here? And if players are asking to leave. Oh, and 16 is where they go from here. It, it, yeah. Honestly, after week one, it's not out of the realm of thought, to be honest. The game was that bad yeah. for Miami. And if players are trying to jump ship instead of trying to save it or at least you know stop some of the water from filling the boat there, so to speak, Trying to quit on your team right now is not the best look if that is true. Well, they already said that when they traded Tunsil that there was already problems in the locker room. And then just like Pat said, I mean, look at their calendar. There's three remaining players on it from their season open, you know, their their season calendar that they give out. So that that just shows you right now that there is big problems in that locker room and there isn't leadership in there because your leadership was traded away. I mean, you traded Kenny Stills, you know, quiet veteran. And, you know, Tunsil, who is your captain on the offensive line. So, I mean, where you go from here, I don't know. I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick can only do so much. Right. And, I mean, you, you sure, they might be able to squeak out a fluke win during the season. But, I mean, typically you might expect them to win a game if they're this bad at the end of the season when teams are kind of resting their starters. They know when things are locked up. So, I'm just going to – I'm looking at their schedule. I'll just jump to December. Week 13, December 1st, they're playing Philly. All right. Probably won't win that because Philly won't be sending their starters the first uh, week of December. Uh, week 14, they are playing the Jets in New York. Week 15, they're playing the Giants in New York. Uh, week 16, they're playing the Bengals. And then week 17, they're playing the Patriots in Foxborough. That week 15 could be their only win. It could be at this point. Because the Giants suck! We'll get into that a little bit later in the show. Oh, okay. But, Thank you. Like I say, for this game, though, to put a, a tie on it, Miami, I don't know where you begin to work, but you have to figure out something. I know it's a new coaching staff and new yeah. everything, but you have to find your way to at least look presentable if mm-hmm. this is going to be the case. I'm just saying after this game, and like I said, it's a beautiful stat line if you play fantasy football. Yeah. And if you're a Ravens fan, the future is very bright going into week two. I'm gonna say I, I gotta be honest. I got Marquise Brown on one of my fantasy teams, took him on a shot in the dark. Hey, I just need him to fill a position, but I'm looking like a genius right now. Right. Yeah, so sure. I mean anywhere can go from here for both teams. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just anywhere, but like I say, Miami has got a lot more questions than answers. Yep. Pad, your leap. Uh my leap at the time now I know this point 
uh, spread fluctuated a little bit, but when I picked it, the, it was an even push. I picked the Denver Broncos to win uh, their game against the Oakland Raiders, which they did not. They lost by a final score of 24-16. to 16. Uh, Joe Flacco going 21-31, of 31, passing for 268 yards, one touchdown. Uh, on the flip side, you had Derek Carr going 22-26 of 26 for 259 yards and one touchdown. Coach? Yeah, I mean, obviously the Antonio Brown gate, and all that that played out over the weekend, you know, was quite the fiasco and quite the storyline. We had said that that would be the biggest story on Monday, which yeah. I mean, honestly, it probably still is. I but mean, if, if if you could turn off the announcers and just hear the crowd, yeah, it was kind of a big deal. Yeah, oh, the crowd was very uh, vocal about their feelings towards a little bit. But I'll say, I mean, Oakland outside of that still had a very like they have a decent football team. I mean, Derek Carr back, very solid yeah. quarterback. Yeah. Josh Jacobs, obviously, you know, give him the ball because he will run through you. A decent wide receiver core. Obviously, Antonio Brown would have only made it better. Yeah. And, I mean, a very young defense that, you know, has leadership, too, with the linebacker position, which is most important. So, not to say that I, you know, think they're going to run the NFC West or the AFC West. It's just I'm not surprised that they beat Denver at home. Right. You know, and, I mean, good for Jay Gruden getting that win monkey off his back after everything happened. I mean, obviously, none of the issues were with him. No. You know, what was going on. That no. is unfortunate that really – He's inheriting the mess yeah. that was created by you know the previous general manager and Mike Mayock of the you know the GM today. So where they go from here, I don't really know. And and, and if you're Denver, Ooh. I mean that they're obviously a good performance out of Flacco, yeah. but. Yeah, they, mean, had a, they had a good day from Cortland Sutton in their uh, their wide receiver. Seven catches, 120 yards, no touchdowns, but he averaged 17.1 yards per catch. But, I mean, you shouldn't have gotten beat that bad. No. No, they definitely shouldn't have. And, like you say, John Gruden definitely has to be very happy about this, especially with all the drama that was going into the game. So, on the Oakland side of the ball, they got to be very happy that they got the win out. Yeah. Denver is almost in the, kind of in the same state that Miami is, but they're in better shape. Sure. By far, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. But they're in the transition phase of okay, where are we going from here, and where is our identity? It's to be determined. But Flacco looked okay; he didn't look awful in this game. No. Yeah, no. So I mean, they do have some pluses to go to week two. So we just kind of have to wait and see where they go from there because that defense will keep them in every game. Just oh, in yeah. this one, Oakland had the last draw. Mm-hmm. Coach, your lock. All right, my lock was the. Cleveland Browns over the Tennessee Titans. Whoops. That didn't happen at all. Whoops. My God. Pad, you got the stat line. Yep. Uh, so Tennessee ended up winning by a final score of 43-13. to 13. Marcus, Ouch. Marcus Mariota had 14 of 24 for 248 yards passing, three touchdowns. Uh, Baker Mayfield had 25 of 38 uh, passing for 285 yards, one touchdown, three interceptions. And you want to know the biggest storyline coming out of this game? Uh, Odell Beckham Jr.'s watch? Odell Beckham Jr.'s watch. What was that, like 350000 My God. So we're not even sitting here talking about the game. We're not talking about practice. practice. We're talking about a watch. Yeah. That's yeah. what's coming out of this game. So, I mean, for all you Giants fans that were like, man, Odell Beckham, don't trade him. Well, I, now you see why. And I listen. I wish they would have gotten more for him, to be honest with you. Sure. That was my gripe with the trade. Not that they traded him, just the fact that first you said you weren't going to, and then you only get one measly first-round pick. Mm-hmm. Whatever. So, uh, again, though, I still think Cleveland will be able to right the ship. I'm not going to jump off the bandwagon. Uh, I know you know our fearless leader across the table from me, Pad, has jumped off that bandwagon. <laughs> oh, no, no. Uh, I am going to hold steadfast. They are going to be okay. 
Tennessee's uh, defense is very, very good, and and their offense is <laughs> not um, very good. But they put up forty three points. So what can you say? I mean, listen, if there's any anything both teams need to work on, it's their third down efficiency. Tennessee was two of ten on third downs, and Cleveland was one of ten on third downs. The one takeaway, and I have not jumped off ship. But I think this is a very mm-hmm. sobering reality check, to say the least. Well, but yeah, for the hype train that is Cleveland. Well, and and especially the swagger they might have been walking in there with, just you know, on paper how good things look. Like oh, we oh got, yeah, we got Odell, we got Jarvis Landry, we got Nick Chubb, we got all these guys on defense, and we got Baker. Like we're gonna be good this year. And like yes, you might be good, but like. You still slow, have to play. This, yeah, slow your roll. This is the exact thing Baker needed. Yeah, just to get that chip back on his shoulder. He's gonna he's gonna write the ship. He's gonna come out. He's gonna put the Cleveland flag in the middle of somebody's field next week, and we are gonna get our Baker Mayfield back. Yeah, this is just nothing but a humbling loss that I think came at the right time. Because sure, because yeah. everybody, like I say, they have been predicting Cleveland is going to be in the Super Bowl without snapping it down. Oh, I mean, a lot of people, yeah, were definitely at least the mm-hmm. AFC Championship game. Yeah. yeah. So this is probably the best thing that could happen if they couldn't win because it's a humbling loss. Not just, a, you know, they didn't lose by one. They, no, yeah. They got blown out at home. So now they are hearing about this for the entire week from mm-hmm. every single news media outlet that is covering them. I would say for the next eight days because week two, they're on Monday night football against the New York Jets. And I will say this right now. That is my lock. Cleveland is going to win. Okay. Okay. I don't even see a point spread. I'm, I am sticking with the Browns. I think they're your leap because I think the Jets are two and a half point favorites. Oh, then I'll jump on that all day, <laughs> all all day, and then some. Uh, he is right. Yeah. Uh, or no. Yeah. No. Cleveland's a currently two and a half point favorite. Oh, Cleveland. Okay. Yeah. Done. All right. Lock it in. But for Baker, he's got to hear the noise, and he's definitely got to pull that team together. And definitely for Tennessee, though, sneaking in there. And Good for them. I mean, they're one team that we said on the preview show that they were going to scrap, and they definitely scrapped out. The game was not pretty on their offset, no. offensive side. But, but they're not a pretty offensive team. No, so. that's the thing. You know what you're getting with them. You know you're going to be battling like a good, good old-fashioned boxing match. Mm-hmm. Every down is going to be tough. And Tennessee, hey. They did what they needed to do for Cleveland. I hope they found the blueprint and they bounce back next week. Yep. So, coach, your leap. My leap was the Panthers, mm-hmm. which <sighs> which you know, lost to the Rams, but it was closer Ugh. than people expected, though. No, 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 because that was garbage time. Ken, don't try and make me feel better about my picks. It was a bad week, and I wear in the dunce cap right now because Carolina was down in that game. They were getting beaten up in that game. Cam Newton looked like the same Cam Newton that we get every single year, which is terrible. It was the same Carolina Panther team that we get every year where, oh, they're going to win the NFC and they're going to go to the Super Bowl. And then they play like this and they put up a dud at home against the defending NFC Championship team that just lost in the Super Bowl. Super Bowl hangover written all over them. Todd Gurley's knee. What is going on with it, Pat? Do we know? Uh, Not to my knowledge. The Rams don't even know what's going on with his knee. So there's a question mark there. You know, paying quarterback Goff get paid in the offseason. Their whole entire defense revamped because they lost everybody but Donaldson. And they have a perfect chance, Carolina, to come out and put a whooping, a whooping on this team. And they put up a dud. I just want to know where Cam Newton gets those outfits for post game. I don't care where he gets those <laughs> outfits from. I want victories, Pad. I want W's when I pick you as my leap. 
So, if, in case anyone doesn't know the score, the L.A. Rams won by a final score of 30-27. to 27. Jared Goff. And it was not as close as that score will tell you. Jared Goff, 23 of 39 for 186 yards passing. God, one, garbage. One touchdown, one interception. On the flip side, Cam Newton, 25 of 38 for 239 yards, zero touchdowns, one interception. But I think we got to point this one out because, holy good God almighty, Christian McCaffrey, have a game, why don't you? 19 carries, 128 sure. yards, two touchdowns. Well, that's what he does, Pad. That's what what he always does. Tell him, but tell him the guy, the the Todd Gurley stat. Tell him that for all you fantasy owners out there. Uh, Fourteen carries, ninety-seven yards, six point nine yards average. Right, all right. Zero touchdowns. Zero touchdowns. How many? Who who had them? Uh, for the uh, Malcolm Brown. Malcolm Brown. He got all the goal line stuff. So not only am I mad about the way that the Panthers perform, but then I have Todd Gurley on my fantasy team, who I had to play Ken, and Todd Gurley puts up another dud. I think I think for Todd Gurley owners in fantasy, it's going to be a very long shaky. year. It's going to be a long year because you look at what happened last year, where you know his year banner year supposed to you know win awards and this that, and the other, and what happened at the end of the year with all the all the uh, miles on his legs. Started to fall apart. Got to the mm-hmm. super. Got to the Super Bowl. Wasn't nearly himself from earlier in the season. So that's going to be in the back of the of of the team's mind. Going, can we depend on this guy, or if we just give him what we did last year, is the same thing going to happen? When your team says that you don't, they don't know what his knee is. <laughs> like that's not good. No, like, no, this this whole season is going to be a question mark concerning Gurley, in my opinion. Yeah. Oh, his it, usage is going to be exponentially lower. Right, mm-hmm. so fantasy football tip, try recruiting his backups on your team. Oh, so yeah, check, yeah. check for no, Malcolm Brown. No, no, no really, players. really, Pat? Yeah, I, and I had to use my waiver, which I was the number one, oh, and I go. tried to hold on to that for most of the year, and I had to use it because I got to pick up Malcolm Brown. Sure. I don't have a choice. Yes. It, it's a very puzzling situation what's going on with the Rams, but they squeaked out the win in Carolina. Oh, you know. not, and then I forget to mention it was a West Coast team, a West Coast team traveling to an East Coast playing at one o'clock, which is one of the things you thought would factor in. I had everything written on this for a win. Yes, but unfortunately, that's not how they played the game. God, I'm I'm trying not to dig in too much because I know when we go to our NFL extra segment. <sighs> We're going to be mentioned about the Giants, so I want you to save some energy for that. Because <laughs> don't worry. I got plenty for I, that. I know you're going to dig just, into that. Listen, I don't get it. Like, you're sitting here, and, and it's just you're Carolina Panthers. You're playing at home. You're playing against yeah. the NFC championship team, that Super Bowl hangover. I mean, and then you come out, and, I mean, they were down. They came back in this game. At one point, they were down, like, I think 27-17 to 17 or 27-14. to 14. They had to come back in the game, and luckily they had uh, either an interception or fumble recovery that was within the uh, red zone, so they were able to convert on that. And that's the only reason why they got back in this game, because had the Rams gone down scored, forget about it. Going yeah. into the fourth quarter, uh, the Rams were up 23-13, to 13, yeah. All right, close enough. But, I mean, whatever. Either way, though... That red zone interception that happened late in the game, that helped Carolina get back in this because otherwise, had the Rams gone and scored on that drive, it would have been 30-13. to mm-hmm. You know, it's one of those things when you make those big comebacks because once you do, the team gets a lot of momentum and they seem to bounce back. Kind of like my lock did, which had me worried the entire time of the first half. I'm Segway. sure. Yes. You like how I'm doing I that. I like that. I respect uh, it. I, what can I say? I got the Segway game going on <laughs> really good. 
I picked the Eagles to go over Washington, and boy, they had me worried for sweating a good yeah. a good amount of the game. But yeah. thirty-two to twenty-seven, Pad, you got that stat line. Yep, like you said, thirty-two to twenty-seven was the final score. Case Keenum, thirty of forty-four for three hundred and eighty yards passing, three touchdowns, no interceptions. Uh, on the flip side, Carson Wentz, twenty-eight of thirty-nine for three hundred and thirteen yards passing, three touchdowns, no assists. But I think we got to mention the one big standout thing, and again. Thank you for my fantasy team. Uh, Carson Wentz hooking up with Deshaun Jackson for all day. All day. Eight yards, 158, eight catches, excuse me, for 154 yards, two touchdowns. About seven of those eight catches, too, were all over Josh and Orm. His average, yeah. his average was 19.3 yards. When they finally got the ball rolling, Philly was very scary. Yeah. I Listen, so I actually watched this game because I've, you know, two divisional opponents. Sure. So Scott I wanted to see what was going on. And yeah, scout. Well, somebody's got to do it because nobody's <laughs> doing it in New York. Uh, and I, you know, sitting here watching the game, and I mean, they were up. I think tw- you know, double digits at least sixteen. Uh, yeah, plus. at halftime they were up twenty to seven. And Philly looked terrible. Mm-hmm. It was not a good Philly football team. No. So here I'm thinking, like, all right, Washington. You know, they're dominating. So I turned the game off to you know let the kids watch something on TV. Come back later. All of a sudden, Philly's up one. I think you got to give a credit to the the coaching staff and especially the de- the defensive coaches there because, like you said, going at like I said, going into halftime, it was twenty to seven. But then you look at the the second half of the game, Philly held Washington to just seven points, and that was in the fourth quarter. Oh, I mean, and Washington was on tilt the rest of the way. Sure, they. I mean, they had no answers offensively. No, it's one of those kind of weird situations that. Washington started out real strong, but then they just got punched in the mouth and just couldn't recover. Yeah. I mean, and Philly just unloaded. Deshaun Jackson, welcome home, and what a return. (sighs) Yeah. I mean, Eagles fans were ecstatic about this, as they should be. And Carson Wentz, you know, when he's healthy, he's a dangerous quarterback. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll say as long as they can continue to sling the deep ball like that, they're going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, that vertical passing game, if he can be accurate with that, because then once you try to take that away, you still got Alshon Jeffries and Zach Ertz underneath. Mm Mm-hmm. It's going to be tough. And the running back, I mean, I, they ran all three guys, I'll say, and all yeah. three looked good. Sproles had 47 yards. Uh, Howard had 44 yards. Uh, Sanders had 25 yards. That's over 100 yards rushing by three running backs. Once they get going, they're going to be tough to stop. So Philly, definitely a gritty win coming from behind. Much like my lot, or my leap, but it's always a lock in my heart because – Nobody circles those wagons like the Buffalo Bills. Nobody goes through a table like the Buffalo Bills fans. This is very true, and I'm not saying that that might have happened in a pregame on Sunday, but I'm not going to even go into that. But it was a rough start at the Meadowlands, but the Bills wound up winning 17-16. to uh-huh. Pad, you got that stat line. Yep, uh, Josh Allen, 24 of 37 for 254 yards passing, uh, one touchdown, two interceptions. On the flip side, Sam Darnold, uh, two, for four, two for 41 on 175 yards passing, one touchdown, no interceptions. Uh, I think the one standout, though, we got to mention, not even standout just because, hey, everyone was curious what he would be like in his first game back after a year off. Le'Veon Bell, 17 carries, 60 yards, no touchdowns. Coach, your thoughts on this before I go off? Uh, yeah, I mean, I credit to Buffalo for able to hold Le'Veon Bell in check. I mean, yeah. under you know, 17 carries for roughly about 60 yards. Average 3.5, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely not what the Jets were looking for as far as a game plan, especially when you no. bring in Le'Veon Bell. You're looking for him to be able to help you know alleviate some of the offensive pressure off Sam Darnold by at least getting you know maybe averaging four or five yards per carry. Yeah. Um, and defend, you know, and obviously offensively, Josh Allen was able to find his groove come the second half 
which is exactly what Buffalo needs. I mean, they're not going to be a team that is going to be able to, you know, put up 30 to 40 I'll points a they're, game. They're not going to be like Baltimore on Sunday. Sure. And and I think they know that, and they just need Josh Allen to be able to put maybe one or two in the end zone and milk the clock, and they were able to do that. Now, let me ask this, since I wasn't able to watch a game, and I, Ken, I know you were. How did Le'Veon look? Did it look like a little bit as if we were in wrestling, a little ring rust, if you will? No, not necessarily. I What they did, and I thought was smart, is they were using him to his advantage running to the sidelines. Okay. They, were, they were doing a lot of like power lefts, power rights, and they were just really kind of shifting the line to – you know, allow him to be a playmaker. And sure. they were really taking advantage because the Bills offense started out very stagnant. And they were and on the flip side, the Jets were really trying to feed uh Levy on the ball and really get him going. And I really didn't see too much, you know, as we say in in wrestling terms, ring rust. He definitely started finding his stride later in the game. Sure. But that's when Buffalo made second half adjustments. And with Josh Allen's turnovers too. I will say this. I pin the fumbles are completely on him, and I have no idea why they went on it on fourth and one when they were down. Mm-hmm. I want to say at that point they were still 17 nothing. Sure. And they didn't go for the easy field goal with Hooch, um, with their kicker there, and he fumbles the ball. His fumbles I, right. I fully blame on Josh. Sure. He's got to be sure. better with the ball. The interceptions, though, were deflections. So you can't really fault him on that. And like I said, the Jets took full advantage of it. Darnold was using a lot of just easy screen passes to to the right side. And once the Bills started picking that up, then they really started taking hold of the game too. Right. And I thought was the biggest sign for the Bills for me was Devin Singletary. And taking a look at his stat line, it was four attempts for 70 yards. Yep, uh, average 17.5 yards, no touchdowns. Yeah, but he took it over in the second half. I'd say. And he was really making – a spark in that offense that they desperately needed. And he, when he was working his way to the outside, the Jets, I don't, I'm not saying they were tired, but I just didn't think they had an answer at that stage. Well, I mean, they're going to need somebody to step up on that rushing side of the ball. I mean, because outside Devin Singletary, their next highest rusher was their own quarterback. Right. right. For 10 carries on 38 yards. And after that, it was Frank Gore. So, like, Shady's not there anymore. Frank Gore's, you know, 139 years old, or however old he is. He's been in the league a few years. Yeah. <laughs> You know, so you're not you're not exactly going to get you know AP and his prime carries out of the guy. Why gotta so, do Frank Gore like that, man? I mean, listen, he's been around a long time. It is what it is, you know. But you need somebody to step up. So kudos to Devin Singletary for stepping up big. Yeah, no, he came through clutch, especially when they needed tough downs. They took care of that. Yeah, and it's not to say the Jets weren't in it because they were definitely in. But the Bills just took over that second half, and especially once Josh Allen found uh, Josh Brown. Mm. That's going to be a nice combination with the chemistry they were working on, and yeah. even with Cole Beasley too. Yeah, because once Allen started slinging the ball, and they were kind of really the offensive coordinators were really letting him take over. That's when you saw like a little shift in the offense, and you looked a lot more comfortable. Because like I said, that first half was awful, yeah. and it was an ugly win. I'll be the first one to tell you is ugly, but a win is a win. Especially against a divisional opponent. Yeah, on the road, I'll take that yeah. any day I can get it. Yeah. And definitely the Jets were game for the game for the for the matchup. It's not to say it was a walk in the park by any means. No. But I'll take the win and I'll take it moving forward. That was our locks and leaps from the past week, but definitely hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPH. What was your takeaways from week one in the NFL? We're gonna come back actually for another segment of the NFL here on the ODPH. Hey, this is Liz. Hey, this is Heather. And we are Nerdy Bitches Podcast. A show where two geeky ladies podcast their way through pop culture. From movies and TV to our regular book club and everything in between, we bring you our favorite fandoms with a feminine eye. 
We are talking Star Wars, Star Trek, DC Marvel, comic books, and anime. And don't forget sci-fi, fantasy, action movies, video games, D&D, board games, and so much more. Be sure to check us out on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Podbean, or wherever you find awesome podcasts. You can also find us hanging out on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and at nerdybitches.com. See you soon. Hey, this is Brian Wolf from Fair City Fire. You are listening to ODPH, the greatest podcast in Binghamton. Woo! Coming back for an NFL Extra segment here on the ODPH podcast because there were so many stories going around week one, and mm-hmm. we have to address, dare I say, is it the elephant in the room? The is, Giants' horrible loss, I know. Uh, well, we're going to get into that in a second, but, Pad, this one's hitting you a little closer to home. A little bit. Antonio Brown mm-hmm. left the Raiders yep. via, via being released. Yep. Within mo- mere moments, it felt like, is uh, now where? I mean, he was released at 12, signed yeah. at 12.01. Well, yes. so later in the afternoon, but the, the, the whole weekend, like after we finished the episode and went about our lives and whatnot, the story just got crazier and crazier and crazier because, you know, wind the clock back a little bit. Friday, uh, a video comes out on Antonio Brown's YouTube page because apparently he's now trying to be the next, you know, PewDiePie on YouTube and be the next social media superstar. You know, a video comes out of like him training in like black and white footage and it's a phone conversation with him and his then head coach john gruden and my first thought of this when i heard this was oh god because i was rem- remembering back to the roger clemens and i forget his trainer's name uh court case oh yeah, yeah, where, yeah. where his trainer was suing him for libel and defamation and uh one of them had recorded a phone conversation and and you have a different states have different laws based on how many people have to agree to the phone being uh, rec- phone call being recorded for it to be legal. California is a two-party state, aka if Ken M and myself have a phone conversation in the state of California, we both have to agree to the phone call being uh, recorded. So we're like, oh God, he might have violated the law here. And then we come Saturday, or was it Saturday? Yeah, Saturday, and you know the, the Raiders cut him. And then, lo and behold, by like four or five in the afternoon, it was reported by Adam Schefter that he was getting uh, signed by the Patriots. Yeah. So, coach, your thoughts on this? <laughs> I mean, just the Patriots being the Patriots. I mean, what yep. else? What else can you say? I mean, I, my biggest thing is is that you know, I I wish that we knew more of what happened in Oakland because from the sounds of things, you know, and this is just my pure feelings and thoughts on it. Uh, sounds like he was trying to work his way out of there the entire time from, you know, the foot thing to the, to the helmet, to the not showing up at camp. So to me, it's almost a little outrageous for like somebody to like, you went out of someplace that bad that like you're thinking that far in advance. I don't doubt something like somewhere along the lines. I think something went wrong right? and, and the relationship soured because you go back to when he got traded to Oakland and there was that video that got put up of him in the suit and in the hat and he went to Derek Carr's house and he's smiling and he's hugging. You know, something obviously changed and, and soured the relationship from the time he he first signed with the Raiders to when he wanted to get out in the worst way humanly possible. The only thing to just backtrack the timeline, though, 
is when he was originally last season having issues in Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. New England was rumored to be trying to get him via trade. Yeah, and right. The Steelers did not want to make a deal with the Patriots. I'll say that if I read correctly, the Patriots were offering him like a first round draft pick or something. Like it was that. something extremely high, which I mean, it would make sense for Pittsburgh to make the move. Yeah. Albeit though, they don't want to work with the Patriots. Or the Steelers, rather, they'll want to work with the Patriots. I'll say a la Brett Favre wanting out of Green Bay and wanting to go to Minnesota, and they traded him to the Jets. Right. So this kind of had the same vibe to it. And then, obviously, with A.B. getting to Oakland, everybody thought, okay, they're in the honeymoon phase. Everything's working right. I mean, I'd argue they weren't even in the honeymoon phase. Well, you have to kind of question at the beginning when he first there and he was meeting with Derek Carr and, and just, you know, at the initial moment, everybody's sure. like, okay, this is going to work. And then, sure. then there was a the whole frostbite issue. Yeah. And then Helmet, and then Helmet the sequel, and... Then, Electric boogaloo. Yeah, then fighting with the, the GM. And, oh, and, then, and then the fine. Then the fines. And then it just kind of boiled over to the point where the Raiders had no choice. No. And then, obviously, who comes swooping in is the Patriots. And I know a lot of people were... Yeah, and me, I'm the first one to say it, too. I was like, that made the most sense for them to do from a business standpoint. I For me, I'm looking at this going, okay... Either this was some kind of house of cards, long-term planning to eventually wind up to New England, or this is just another masterful move by the Patriots who definitely take shots on players that are considered questionable characters because of actions with yeah, the team. Yeah. And they had the chance to say, hey, if you want a chance to win, come here. Right. I mean, New England, especially since ever since I would say the Randy Moss trade from Oakland to New England has become kind of this team where... You know, if you're on your last ditch, no other team will give you a shot. If you can't make it with them, you're done. And I, and I know a lot of people are going, oh, it's going to be a match made in heaven. Look at what they did with Randy Moss. Okay, yes, that's true. But for every Randy Moss, I forget the player's name, but there, there was that uh, wide receiver that was in Arizona that was a real head case and real issue. Floyd. Thank you. Malcolm Floyd, yeah. who who was with the Patriots for all of not even half a season. You know, for every Randy Moss, there's an Albert Hainsworth. You know, there's a, there's a Darrell Rivas. Like, there's good and bad on both sides. Will this work out? I mean, time will tell. I mean, you know, from what they said on the Sunday Night Football broadcast, uh, Robert Kraft called Tom Brady about the news, and and he said, "I'm a, I'm a hundred percent in." Then he called him back, you know, a couple minutes later, "I'm a I'm a thousand percent in," and and then he called him back, you know, a little later in the day, goes, "I'm a million percent in," and if he needs a place to stay until he finds a place, he can live with me. Well, we're forgetting one integral part of this timeline too is that Pete Carroll called Oakland, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. tried to make a trade, and they said no. Then when he got released, he called Drew Rosenhaus mm-hmm. to try and sign him. And Pete, Drew Rosenhaus wasn't even taking his phone calls. Hmm. And then when he finally did answer, which was that day, all the day of the same day as the transaction with the Patriots, he said he already signed somewhere. So House of Cards? I don't know. I mean, I mean the thing of it is, though, is, is you had Schefter get on, Adam Schefter get on SportsCenter. I want to say it was like the night this happened or the day after this happened. I forget. The days are blending together. Where you know where the the host brought this up, and he goes, "Yeah, you could argue that it's it's collusion and it's backroom." But he's like, "This stuff happens in the NFL all the time, where you have front oh, sure. office, you front office staff yeah. talk with agents and go, hmm. Now they're not technically supposed not supposed to go if a player's under contract with another team. Go, hey, you know." Your guy with our team, they go, hmm, what if, you know, yeah, and all this other stuff. No different than what's going on in the NBA right now. Yeah. I mean, it's all, it's spade to spade, you know, it's all the same. Yeah, it is. And for Antonio Brown, I'm sure he was looking at the teams if he was finally going to be a free agent. So this was his choice, right. 100% all in on him. Yep. So if this fails, it's on him. And I'm sure he's looking at the teams and saying, okay, who wants me to join them? And if the Patriots come calling, I'll be honest. If you're a player and you want to go to a team that has a winning tradition, mm-hmm. you go to the Patriots. I hate saying this as a Bills fan, but I'm being honest. 
proof is in the pudding. This is where you go, and it makes sense. If Brady, he needs a true number one. Obviously, yeah. with Gronkowski not being there, there's Gronk- cap money that they can spend. Gronkowski's not there, and Gordon has come out and said he doesn't want to be the uh, number one focus like he was in Cleveland, that he just wants to play. And, and you put A.B. there, A.B.'s going to get double covered, and Gordon is going to be able to get passes. And then you'll go, oh, darn, we need to double cover Gordon. Oh, well, there you go, A.B. Yeah, and this is going to work out. I Like, I sense this is going to work out for everybody involved. Sure. AB is going to be a model teammate, and I think you're going to hear a lot of what kind of rub people the wrong way in Oakland and even Pittsburgh on the way out the door he's not going to be doing. Well, and that's the other thing is if he – with the way the Patriots operate, and especially Bill Belichick, where I remember a game a couple of years ago in, in Indianapolis where one of their running backs fumbled the ball in like the first quarter and he benched him for the rest of the game. You don't think if, if Brown starts pulling any of this nonsense in, in New England, they won't go, go home, you're done. Yeah, that's what I – I don't think it's more so going to be it's not going to be there. I just think it's going to be silenced because the Belichick way will – will be there yeah yeah and if it doesn't work here then dare i say he might actually be doing retirement because what team is going to take a chance if they can't work with the patriots who have that built-in tradition of winning it's tougher to go somewhere else and then try having that success yeah and in case anyone's curious about the whole phone recorded uh, john gruden conversation if the uh, producer of said video is to be believed uh they were going to put that video out and then antonio's marketing agent representative called him and said you can't do that that's against the law so he then sent it to john gruden and said hey what do you think of this if you don't like it i'll pull it out it's no issue and gruden came back and said i love it it's awesome and then on the flip side, you you know, even I got to admit, I was salivating a bit of this when, you know, you're looking at the Patriots possible wide receivers. And if they go five wide, who do you cover? Uh, they have now traded Demarius Thomas uh, to the New York Jets for yeah, six round pick yeah. for a six round pick. Yeah, Patriots are making moves and it's scary for the rest of the NFL. No other way to describe it. So let us cap off week one, though. Coach, we're going to let you have your state of peace here. Get your popcorn. Ken, if I said to you that your starting quarterback went 30 of 44 for 306 yards and a TD, but you lost, would you blame the quarterback? No. No. Okay. So that's where we are with the Giants right now. They – listen, that – that team against the, – so the Giants lost 35-17 to 17 against Dallas in Dallas. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Dak Prescott had a field day. He just absolutely devoured the Giants. He was 28-32 to 32 for 405 yards and had an hour and a half every time he dropped back to throw the ball. He averaged 12.7 yards per pass and has had a perfect passer rating. I mean, he didn't get pressured all game. So let's rewind the clock a little bit here to April okay. in the draft. The Giants have a sixth pick in the draft, and there's two pass rushers, one being Josh Allen, who had a pretty decent game mm-hmm. uh, you know, for being a rookie in his first game. Uh, Josh Allen there on the board at six. And what do you do being the team that was almost dead last in sacks last year in the NFL? Trade away your best pass rusher in Olivier Vernon to Cleveland. Now sitting here with uh, whatever you have at defensive line, you pick a Daniel quarterback. Jones. You pick... Daniel Jones at sixth, yep. where he's not going to play a meaningful down in this season, period. So now you're sitting here with a quarterback who's holding a clipboard all year, chewing bubblegum, looking like Dwight Schrute's cousin from the office, and now you're sitting here and you have no pass rush. Right. So that's where we are right now. And and I don't get it. To me, it was a no-brainer to select a, a defensive uh, pass rusher Yeah. You know, at the sixth pick. Then you have the 17th pick, and you get a defensive tackle. 
that doesn't rush the passer. I mean, that's you, a run stopper. I mean, you just look at the total yards Dallas put up, and you know they're a sneeze away from 500 yards. They had 494 total yards. I mean, you look at Ezekiel Elliott, 13 carries, 53 yards, that's one a, touchdown. That's a good game. That's a good that's game. A for, good, good game for him. For the Giants. Well, that's a good game for the Giants on pass rushing. I mean, on r- stopping the run, right? But especially like I kind of try. Okay, is it Zeke's best game? No, but what he signed his deal on like Thursday, Wednesday, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. So you know he's he's getting back into the flow of things. But then you just look at the receiving side of the ball and my god michael gallup seven catches 158 yards gross amari cooper six catches 106 yards randall cobb four catches 69 yards like now, it, now that's and what not about jason witten uh, yeah, i had a touchdown shush yeah. shush now that's not even but that's not even to give this the fault to the secondary because when you have to cover a guy for more than five seconds yeah that's pretty difficult to do yeah like I, even daryl revis for as great as he was in his prime could not cover somebody an entire play like that. No. So when you have no pass rush, which, mind you, was what the Giants were uh, was a strength and what yeah. beat the Patriots in both of those Super Bowls mm-hmm. were say that Justin that. Tuck and Michael Strahan getting to Tom Brady. So they called it, what, the NASCAR defense or something like yeah, that? Yeah, I mean, they, it, was the pass, it was the pass rush defense was what I used to call it. And, then, and now they can't do it. And then here's the most telling stat and the scariest stat. Who's arguably the Giants' best player? Saquon Dan- Barkley, Saquon. right? No, I know Daniel Jones. Being serious here for a second. Yeah, no, Saquon. Saquon Barkley. How many touches did he have in this game? Uh, I'll 11. answer that. Oh, Fifteen. He had four catches. Oh, okay. Fifteen touches. That is Saquon Barkley, arguably your most your mo- most dangerous player in the game. Even on, I would say they're the entire. I mean, I think he's better than Ezekiel because he's a little more dangerous out of the backfield as far as a pass catcher. Yeah. So I would arguably say the best player on the field, and he touches the ball 15 times and only twice in the second quarter. Mm-hmm. McFly, hello. I mean, you want to talk about McAdoo being a bad play caller? My God, Schumer, you were an offensive coordinator who had. Adrian Peterson, you don't think you know you don't know how to get the ball to your best player? Yeah. Listen, it is going to be a long year for the Dolphins. It's going to be an even longer year in New York. It's a bold statement the coach is making, but when you give up, 30, I mean, I'm not saying they're going to go 0 and 16. I'm yeah. just saying, like, as far as like what expectations were, and I know that they weren't good, but my God, you are going to be looking at from Tua or you know the uh, Herbert out of Oregon. And now you're sitting here and you pick Daniel Jones at six. He's not going to play a single down that will be even remotely for a winning team this entire season. And you had a pass-rushing defensive end sitting there, and you elect a quarterback. Common sense. Yeah, it's a question mark that the Giants definitely need to answer because when you give up 35 points to the Cowboys as they lost 35-17, to 17, yeah. there's a lot of answers that they just don't have. And the worst part is, is these is – these, Dumb, dumb people sitting here saying like, "Oh, they should have pulled." Da- you know, they should have put Daniel Jones in this game because Eli had a couple. Daniel Jones want to save the ship. Yeah, no, no. I mean he he had a couple Tom. You know, a, a couple dumb plays. Uh, sure, you know, that sure. Eli shouldn't be making as a 16 year veteran. But at the same time, you can't ask a guy to go 80 plus yards every single drive and score when Dallas is scoring on every single drive. Yeah, it's a question that they don't have answers for, and that's for the Giants. They definitely need to figure something out. Not no, saying because they're going against the Bills next week. No, no, I'm, not, I'm not taking a shot like that. No, I mean, but, I get it. But to come off a bad loss like this, and let's face it, it was. I mean, yeah. when you were down, what, 21-7 at halftime? Yeah. yeah. And then just you are still getting pounded when the 
at, at the start of the third quarter. Like I say, this is just one situation that the Giants had no answer for, and they looked lost. Not Miami lost, but they looked lost. And it's nothing against Barkley, who did what he could, but when you only got 11 carries for 120, you got to get the ball more. You got I mean, my God, I don't know if you got to put him in the Wildcat or whatever, but you can't play him, you know, in the second quarter, only two snaps. And then when you get asked about it in the press conference and say, oh, the, the, the game was dictating the way that we were playing, you know, calling the game. Was that what the answer was in Detroit when Barry Sanders was there? Is that what they were doing in Dallas with Emmett yeah. Smith? No, no. It's a it's a different time period, so well, obviously I mean, he's got to learn. I mean, it's what second? I get that, but I'm just saying, like, you can't sit here and not get him 20 touches a game, 20 touches minimum. I was gonna say, I mean, how many years has he been in the league? I mean, this is his second year. Yeah, but so how he, long has Schumer been playing calling oh, plays? I, for? I grant you, but I'm saying for him though, he's got to obviously realize that when he's talking to the media, and and obviously, well, Schumer said oh, this. Schumer is what said, Schumer okay. said. So I mean, listen. Apologies on that. Yeah, it's okay. They they don't care. Yeah. They're they don't even, they're so irrelevant. They don't even know what's going on right now. I mean, listen, this team. I don't understand what is going on and what is happening, but. When you have a defense that doesn't even deserve to be on the field, and I'm not talking about the secondary because the secondary is full of talent. I'm talking about the front seven. It is abysmal. None of these players outside of Lawrence, you know, who was a first-round pick, would probably make any of the other teams. Mm-hmm. And I'm, that's just God-honest truth. I, I don't know what else to say. I mean, you literally went from a team that had Michael Strahan, Justin Tuck, Osin Yuminyora, you know, these these defensive players that, like, struck fear to now, you know, a punchline yeah. with a perfect passer rating for the first time, mind you, in Dallas history since Troy Aikman did it in, like, 1996. I mean, I'll be honest. I'm looking at the Giants' defense on their on the ESPN.com depth chart, and while, you know, I may not be able to read off, a lot of times with teams, I may not be able to read off a person's stat line or career history. Sure. I'll at least recognize a name. I'm looking at the, the, the list they've got for the base 3-4 defense on the Giants. I don't recognize a name on this team until I get to Jabril Peppers' safety. Well, I mean, Jackrabbit's a pretty, you know... Uh, no, right, but I'm saying like yeah, a name I recognize. You know, I don't recognize a name on this until I start getting yeah. into the secondary. And, I mean, you traded away, you know, your arguably your best player that you got out of Miami in Olivier Vernon, you know, as part of the OBJ package. And, you know, you got a really good uh, Zilter uh, offensive guard who was needed because that offensive line was terrible. But, I mean, you just... You can't sit here and say, like, we're putting our best you know, foot forward as far as, you know, putting a team on the field when your defense is as abysmal as it is. It's a question mark that they've got to figure out. I mean, that's the thing, but their defense is just <sighs> not there. That was, I mean, I hope that it's not 16 weeks of that, but it feels better to get that off. See, this is why we went NFL and, extra here on the ODPH this week. Well, I listen, I mean, I cannot be the only giant. Like, there has to be some Giants fans with, like, like common sense that just sit here and say, like, Daniel Jones is not the freaking answer here. We're definitely going to have to post that on Twitter, so definitely hit us up. You can Please. find our social media links on OchoDoroParleyHour.com. Giants fans, talk to me. I, I mean, listen, my my whole thing is is I'm looking forward to uh, the kid from Alabama. Uh, Tua? Uh, no, Judy, the uh, wide receiver. Because, I mean, him pair uh, – listen, I know Daniel Jones is what he is. But, I mean, he is a good wide receiver. And if they're sticking with Daniel Jones – I want this Judy kid from Alabama. That's that's where I'm looking right now. 
He's already focused on the I'm draft. I'm already focused on April. But that's how we recap week one here in the NFL. It's been a wild one. we got a lot of stories to talk about, so definitely hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPH. Join the conversation on our social media because we definitely want to interact with you. What's your thoughts about the Antonio Brown move to New England? What is your thoughts about the Giants' current state of affairs? Coach Duffy will answer you on Twitter. This is yes. not, this is not a Go joke. Go ahead. You you say something to me and I will reply with my answer. If even if it's something trolling, I will still get back to you because I am that ready to argue with people. So definitely hit us up. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Johnny Moose from Excite Wrestling and you're listening to the ODPH. I didn't mess it up. I thought I would. Right now, back to the guys. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast, and we have to recap some UFC action. Oh, boy. UFC 242 came and definitely made some headlines. Mm -hmm. The lightweight title was on the line. Yes. The one and only Habib Mm -hmm. facing Dustin Poirier. Yes. Pad, how did it go down? Uh, Habib won the fight uh, with a submission rear naked choke in the third round, defeating Dustin Poirier. Coach, you have any thoughts on this? Yeah. It's got to be the next fight has to be Habib versus Habib. Oh, cloning. Okay. Because at this point, I don't know. I mean, and I know that the next fight is going to be, you know, scheduled for Tony Ferguson. But at this point, at this particular point in time, this guy is an animal. Yeah. Dare I say we now have to start throwing him in the goat conversation. You can have that conversation. I don't know if I'd necessarily put him there. I mean, yes, he's on a mythical, magical he, he's run. He's in the conversation now. He, you know, it's a mythical, magical run that's just absolutely insane, you know, where he's just winning, and, and it's not looking like anybody can even come close to beating him. Well, I mean, Poirier almost had him, though, once. He did sneak the guillotine on, which I thought Habib was going to go out. I really did, and I think anybody else probably would have. But Habib just weathered the storm, and his style of fighting, that aggressive wrestling style, nobody has figured out. Nobody has come close. Poirier, though, did have some good shots, and, I mean, he hung in there as much as anybody can, and you can't take anything away from his performance. Mm -hmm. But just Habib is on that level right now that is, what, 28-0 now? Yeah. I think there's something that's so telling. You know, when you look at the GOAT, when you talk about that GOAT conversation, you have – you know, John Jones, obviously, arguably, probably one of the greatest fighters, literally the greatest fighter of all time, and how he beats opponents by just taking whatever your strength is mm-hmm. and then beats you using that. Right. But John doesn't always stop fights, you know, regardless of whatever the situation is, but he right. uses your strength. But it could, but Habib literally just imposes his will He just mauls you. you. He just literally just, from the outstretched start of the fight if he gets you on the ground you are not moving from the mat no. and then he will dominate you in every aspect of the floor of the mat game from start to finish until you get saved by the bell or until the referee stops the fight i mean it just really speaks to his body of work when you break down his professional record like i said 28 wins zero losses eight wins are by knockout eight or excuse me 10 wins are by submission 10 wins are by uh, submission. Yeah, indecision. I mean, he is yeah. just phenomenal to watch. Like, to watch him, like I say, this is like he has the Anderson Silva mystique now. He has that when you see him fight, you know you're watching greatness happen. Right. And now the question becomes, okay, who's next? Now, 
I'll pose it around the room. I did get a text in from Common Man Vince Atoli from Crow's Nest MMA. Okay. And he said he actually gave me a couple names that he goes could beat Habib. Okay. Tony Ferguson is one. I mean, if they stay healthy. Yeah. Gillespie and Justin Gaethje. Hmm. That was his three. Okay. Okay. So let me pose this around the room. Who is next, and do you think that Habib will lose to them? Starting with Coach. I mean, he, obviously, I think they've already talked about that Ferguson will be next. And right. the answer is no. No, yeah, I definitely think Ferguson is next because they've tried to make that fight, what, three times, four times? Four. Four times, and, and it's never happened. I mean, goodness knows I'm, I'm crossing my fingers and toes hoping that it happens this time, but do I think he can beat him? No. I mean, he. You look at his record. He's gone back to back and submitted Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier. Yeah, if you go through the lineage of Habib's victories, I mean, it's almost like a who's who. Yeah. I mean, and just you can go up and down and see. I mean, Michael Johnson was just a scary, dis, just domination. Yeah. Barbosa was the decision. Al Alicanta, who honestly came in on the short notice to fight, and definitely scrapped with him, but it was still a one-sided affair. The Connor fight, I'm sorry, it was a one-sided affair. Yeah. And any of this talk about they need to have a rematch, no. I'm going to put my foot down about that right now. I mean, even as big of a Connor fan as I am, no. No. I don't I don't want to see it. Connor would need to win a few before I want to see him fight Habib again. Yeah, I think I I mean, he just needs to be in the octagon for two yeah, two or three fights. Yeah. And just show that he's got, you know, whatever he had back. Yeah. Right. I mean, you lo even going back a little bit further, he beat uh, Tiago Tavares in the first round on a knockout punch when T after uh, Tiago had tested positive for a steroid. Yeah. I mean, he Habib is just on that level. I mean, no matter who you throw at him. I mean, Rafael Dos Anjos, he defeated. I mean, it's almost like a track record of just yeah. great fighters. It's not like he has taken nobodies. So and he, he's he ain't fly, fighting slouches. No, he's definitely not. For me, though, I definitely want to see the Ferguson fight. Yeah. I, I don't know if you can just freeze them cryogenically, like you know Captain America, and, <laughs> and, 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 and like just keep them wrapped in bubble wrap. Yeah, and just what, keep, what those, keep them what, on ice till time for the fight. And then. What, what are those things where you can put the person in? They're like a giant hands ball, the Zorb balls or whatever those things are called, or like people run down the hill just for fun. Put him in one of those. Like you can't hurt yourself in one of those. Need, however, it has to happen because every time that they schedule it's something Ferguson, freak. something freakish happens. I mean, even the was the, the week of the fight and, and somebody tripped over a cable cord if i'm not mistaken yep however it happens this fight needs to happen between those two i mean that's a clear-cut number one contender mm -hmm. tony ferguson is could ferguson beat him i'll say this he probably has the best chance of anybody that they've scheduled to fight habib in a long time right Ferguson has this weird pace that he just goes, and it's almost like the Energizer Bunny. <laughs> he just keeps going and throwing and throwing and throwing. Could that give Habib fits? I think so. Am I saying he's going to outright win? I don't know. I'll be very honest. Like This is just one of those highly debated questions when you talk to MMA fans on Twitter and, and social yeah. media. Like, Could this happen? Justin Gaethje would be another name, but I... I just don't know how he would handle Habib's wrestling. Right. I really don't. I, I I mean personally, my always my stance is always wrestling trumps everything. Mm -hmm. Sure. I mean, unless it's like a, obviously somebody with jujitsu skills, then obviously it's kind of you know punch counter punch yeah. type situation. So I mean, I just I think even if Ferguson can, if you're if you're good with your hands, you always at least have a, a puncher's chance. Yeah. To win the fight, but I mean, if Khabib gets you down to the ground. You're not getting up. No. 
No, it's very Especially unlikely you'll be able to survive. Especially if you are a boxer, you know, if you're a hands thrower, you're not. You can't get up off the ground just being able to throw hands. Right, and I mean, if Gaethje's going to beat Habib, it's going to be have to be by knockout because he's as we record, he is uh, twenty and two with uh, two wins by decision, one win by submission, and seventeen by knockout. Yeah, Gaethje just throws hands. Like I said, the fight between him and, and uh, Cerrone this weekend on ESPN. Which I will be doing the uh, Parlay Points <laughs> blog about because there's a lot of MMA action to cover on there. I mean, that one's going to be one for the ages. And if Gaethje beats Cerrone, you have to throw his name in a number one contender match. I mean, I'm looking at Gaethje's record here, and his uh, lone submission win was way back in 2012. Everything else after that, with the exception of one, which was a decision, is a TKO or a KO. Yeah, he does not mess around. Like no. he's going for the knockout. He's one of the most entertaining fighters out there. Mm-hmm. But like I say, if he fights Habib, I don't know what would happen. I really don't because when I was talking to Vince about it, Vince was saying, "Don't sleep on his wrestling." I have yet to see it. Yeah. So I don't know <laughs> what would happen. I'll even throw a wild name out there though. Okay. Like let's say, I, I'm like I say, I'm hoping this doesn't happen. But if Ferguson can't do the fight, sure. What if? hypothetically, because the Usman-Covington fight is not, like, they just can't get that one squared up just yet. Sure. I don't, I don't know why. I don't, I'm not sure what's going on, so I really don't want to speculate. But what if Colby Covington could make the cut to 155? Oh, Lord. That's And you want steep. to talk wrestling to wrestling. I know it's a steep cut, but is it out of the realm of thought? That maybe if his doctor has anything to say I about mean, it. It's, it <laughs> maybe it, even a catchweight situation. You Something like that. Because if you want to talk about a wrestler who can throw at a, just the pace. I mean, you take a look at the fight with Robbie Lawler. Yeah. Covington can throw for days. And he has great wrestling. Could that match up against Habib? Mm. I mean, it would be on paper. It looks great. You know, obviously yeah. it's a lot of fun dream matchup type situation, you know. But yeah, trash talk aside, because I, if, if yeah. I was Covington, Habib is not the guy you want to do that with. No. Under any circumstance. Not, no. not at all. No, you don't want to go down that road. My God, I mean, that. Uh, not even that him and Poirier talked, but, like, when that post-fight, when he hopped out of the octagon, yeah. you know, like you posted, I was like, same thing. I was like, this guy just doesn't have an off switch, man. No. no. I mean, he finishes, and then he stays up. Like, there is no, like... Hey, you know, I won. All right, I'm going to go, you know, jump, celebrate. I'm going to go eat a pizza. Yeah. yeah, it's I'm out of the octagon looking for it. Not saying that he's looking to fight somebody, but he's like, I'm JoJo the Indian Circus Boy, you know, yeah, like, it, I'm it, losing my mind. And in case anyone hasn't seen the video, there's a video uh, from Dana White's Facebook page, Twitter page, uh, you know, probably every social media he has, where after the fight was over, Habib went to go hop the octagon fence. And, and I saw this video and initially thought, without knowing what was going to happen, went, oh, my God, not again. That he was going to hop the fence and start fighting. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I'm somebody. looking for somebody. He, like, he was going to start fighting somebody from Poirier's camp, but then he hopped down and to Dana and gave Dana a hug. And I'm like, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> and like, th- this Poirier fight wasn't enough. I need more. No, but he was very respectful with Poirier, too, after the fight, which I think he's he's going to be donating some T-shirt sale monies to uh, charities. Oh, yeah, that's, that's cool. Awesome. So, yeah, no, Habib was very, yeah. very respectful. No, I mean, these two pre- and post-fight were, you know, pretty even keel with each other. I yeah. definitely think, you know, they respect each other, not – to say that you know the situation with Connor was obviously very different, and that's yeah, clearly mm-hmm. you know clear as day. And I I just think that if you're going to fight Khabib, your best strategy is to make him your friend. Yes. So that way he doesn't murder you. Yes. Yeah. So moving forward, him and Ferguson, we have to sign for Poirier. Though I'm not sure where he goes. I'd love to see him fight Connor. 
to be honest that with you. Would I, be I, wild. I mean, I just I was just on Twitter and that's what he was just he just tweeted a photo of him that he said this is the only thing that makes sense to me. Yeah, and no, it was a picture of him and Connor. I agree. I fully agree. Connor wants to come back and fight, take on the diamond to see what happens. Yeah, I think that uh, obviously him the fact that he just lost to Khabib makes the most sense cuz now these are the most two recent, you know, victories for Khabib and mm-hmm. so them fighting each other just in my brain, it just makes sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely does. I mean, he could always step up and fight Paul Felder, who won against Edwin Barbosa on that card too. Uh, Felder, though, I'm, I'm not sure where he's going to go. I, I just, I, I could see that fight happening. I just, sure. for some reason, I just don't see it happening this soon. But there's going to be a lot of question marks about where everybody's going after this. And like I say, for me, there's one clear cut answer, and Habib needs to fight Tony Ferguson. I don't know how you like, you know, time freeze him, whatever you need to, mm-hmm. that they stay healthy and the fight happens, and then anything can happen from there. Right. Anything. But definitely let us know on social media. Hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPH. We have more MMA news we're going to cover on Parlay Points this week, so check that out. We have a lot to break down. But what is your thoughts about Habib winning against Dustin Poirier? Is he definitely in the GOAT conversation for MMA fighters? And where does he go from here? Is Ferguson the answer, or do you have another fighter you should step up and fight? Hit us up. Let us know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Vince, the Cowman Toy, local MMA fighter, telling you to keep on listening to the ODPH, the 607's up-and-coming newest podcast. Coming back, and it's time to run the ropes here on a wrestling recap of the ODPH podcast. A lot of news happening this past week for Uh the WWE. It's been a little quiet for AEW and such, but WWE returned to Madison Square Garden for Monday Night Raw. For like the first time in 10 years or so? It's been a while, Yeah, and they're definitely loading up back-to-back nights. SmackDown is going to be taping as we are recording. Yep. So, thoughts overall on the Raw at MSG? I mean, it was all right. It started out hot because, you know, you had it came out after the, the graphic intro with WWE and all that. And Michael called, oh, we're, you know, you're looking live at Madison Square Garden and the Stone Cold Glass Breaking Music hit. And it's like, oh, hey, we're starting hot. And then it kind of just, you know, downhill from there. Yeah, I mean, I Austin and MSG, you know, that crowd being as, you know, known as they are in New York for being the hardcore audience, mm-hmm. you know, especially it being kind of a smaller venue, which MSG really does run at, you know, compared to other uh, newer arenas that have been built. So, yeah. you know, that that crowd was definitely going to be, you know, um, in for it with Austin. Yeah. And yeah, it just kind of fizzled down the stretch. I mean, the four horsewoman, you know, being in the ring together at the same time, uh, interesting that it was done for a raw and yeah. not saved for something bigger, especially yeah. given the fact that this story has been written for so long, you know, between the four of them from NXT to all the way up, you know, I mean, God, they've been rivals and friends and rivals and friends yeah. for the yeah. better part of the last five years. Yeah. You know, I mean, they've really been the focal point of that division. So to, you know, have it, have them have a match and all four be in the ring at the same time on a raw was kind of, you know, an interesting move to me. And, you know, obviously the Seth and uh, Braun thing being your main event picture right now kind of is what it is with um, Bray Wyatt hanging around in the background, uh, not really knowing what's the direction's going to be there. I, I honestly, I know we're going to get into it, but it could go either way to me. 
And then, you know, SmackDown tonight. So we'll see what they're able to do. Undertaker's the guest yeah. or mm-hmm. going to be on the show guest. I don't – these veterans always coming back, yeah. you know. I don't even know what to call it, but, you know, he'll take his 45 minutes to get to the ring, and I'll probably fall asleep, so. I mean, the biggest the biggest kind of down moment for me of the whole show was probably the main event where you had the 10-man tag team match, which I'm sitting there, and I know I wasn't the only one who thought this because multiple people made the joke online and said, when did they start airing dark matches? Because that's what it had the feeling of, you know, where, oh, the show's over here. Let's give you uh, the fans in the in attendance a match just for them. And it's usually encompassing a couple of like a tag match of some very, right. you know, good guys and bad guys in a tag match. But that's what it felt like where you had Braun, Seth, Viking Raiders, and then uh, Cedric Alexander against, you know, Dolph Ziggler, Robert Rude, uh, and then... Uh, Bullet Club. Bullet Club, you know, <laughs> thank you. No, don't even dare say it. The OC yeah. and all them, just, you know, that's what it felt like. Was like California. A, was like a, was like a dark match. I mean, outside of that, my, my high point probably had to be when, you know, they finally, you know, Braun and Seth finally got the, the contract signed for the Universal Championship match on Sunday, you know, and then the OC comes out to try and start their nonsense. The crowd, the New York crowd just started calling him an a-hole. And, and Austin just goes, hey, say, hey, AJ, I don't know if your hearing's all that good, but you got 18,000 people calling you an asshole right now. Yeah, it was an interesting show, to say the least. I mean, the open hot was stone cold, and that was a perfect thing. And AJ Styles' sell job of the stunner. Yo, oh. AJ Styles right now is fire. Yeah, I yeah. mean, from the from the promo that he cut last week to the interaction, he literally is just like the perfect foil, I think, for these guys who are over. Yeah. Because especially in a New York market, him being the Southern boy, you know, just instantly, I think, gets heat and, and mm. gravitas towards him because, you know, us New Yorkers and, and yeah. the Southern guy, you know, it uh, instantly gets that heat. So, yeah, that was a ton of fun, you know, to see those two interact. And especially when, you know, he had that moment where he they were coming down to the ring and, and he goes, oh, that's why that's why people hate coming to New York. And he says it with that Southern twang. Yeah, it's perfect, man. It's literally it's like it's reminiscent of almost like the Bret Hart, you know, the Canadian days. Yeah. Not saying that they're going to have the. OC be uh you know uh Southern Heels right but you know they they're both you know even Gallows is from the South so it's kind of a neat little touch you know when he does play that up yeah, yeah. I thought the one takeaway though was the Viking Raiders finally got a real feud going with the Bullet Club right and, it, and it finally they weren't wrestling enhancement talent that like you know you bring these guys on former NXT champions and you know, they had a couple matches against some main main roster folks, but then just out of the blue for whatever reason, and I'll never understand it. I'm not one of the people in back, you know, writing things or producing things. You put them with enhancement talent, and I'm like, these guys don't need it. No, they don't need it. I mean, especially when they were down in NXT and they won the titles, which nobody's even talking about. Right. And then they decided to repackage them for reasons. Yeah. I mean, Twice. I'm just, I'm just, yeah, I'm just happy that they got an actual feud going because they're so talented. Yeah. That you know, fighting developmental talent, it just really isn't doing anything. I, I and, think. The, go ahead. No, and then the, like the rest of the show. I mean, after you had Becky and Charlotte versus Sasha and Bailey, yeah. it just went downhill, and the crowd started turning at that ten o'clock hour. Yeah, like they were they were excited for they were definitely excited for the four horse women match. But then I think where you, and, and anyone watching the show could see this where they started to lose them was when you had the Lacey Evans Natalia match where they started chanting CM Punk in the middle of it. But I think the thing we'd be neglected to mention if we didn't mention it is former New York Knicks center Enos Cantor is now a gross for, is now a former WWE champion having won the twenty four seven championship. I can't you can't get rid of this guy. I mean, <laughs> l- 
literally. Well, listen, you can tell he's a fan of the product because he came out there. I don't even know what he was out there for. You know, they were doing a taping, a main event. He was out there. He was getting interviewed. Our truth comes out and he wins the belt. And then he, you know, showing he's a fan of the fan of the product. Uh, unzips his jacket and shows the New York crowd his Boston Celtics jersey. I thought it was great. Listen, I I am all for him being a fan of the product, and it's well documented that he is. But my God, don't come back to MSG unless you're playing the Knicks. Just stop. We the Knicks cut you. It was obvious. You know Mitchell Robinson is the future of this, and I know I'm going on a basketball thing here, but I am. So so sick of it. I mean, he can't literally keep New York out of his mouth, man. Yeah. Like, get move on. Gro- like, you are a grown up. Deal with the fact that it's over. All right, your Knicks run ended. You went to Portland. You had a great run. You know, up until the uh, you know the second round of there when uh, Damian Lillard got tired of carrying you on his back and and fell apart. And now you're in Boston and you're wearing Kyrie's number. Kudos to you. Way to be the heel. Way to wear the Celtic jersey in New York. Stop going full gear. You're not Adam Page. You're a bum. Learn how to play defense and keep New York out your mouth. Mic drop. <laughs> Enough said there. I mean, how else am I going to come back off that one? I got nothing. <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah, you know, no. I mean, how ridiculous is the it? The only thing worse is Chris Stapps came back. Right, oh, but I mean, at least Kripstock—he's gone. Like he's not even talking New York. Like Enos can't. It's literally like that breakup where it's just like, listen, it's not me, it's you. I can't, I can't do this anymore. And he yeah, can't Chris, stop. Kristaps talked about it for what I would say is the required amount of time to be talking about it once it was over. Two but, press conferences and done. And then it was over and done with. I mean, Enos has been gone for how long? Six months, and it's and it's still coming. Oh, my it's still God. Coming out but, hey, former WWE champion. Now. Hey, kudos to him. Congrats. That's the only championship you'll ever win. hey So, speaking of championships, mm-hmm. we got to talk about the pay-per-view this weekend. Clash yes. of Champions. Right. Yes. So, Pad, you want to break down the card? We'll just give you our quick hits. Sure. Well, of course, you've got the King of the Ring finals going on where you've got Baron Corbin taking on whoever wins on the SmackDown side. Now, that will be interesting because as we record, it was supposed to be uh, Elias versus, uh, who was it? I'm blanking. Chad Gable. Chad Gable. But as we record, uh, due to an ankle injury, Elias is unable to compete tonight. So, we'll have to wait and see for the show to see what happens with that. Now, could Baron Corbin fill in there and then have it please be my dream match of Baron Corbin versus Baron Corbin? I can't get enough of this guy. Quite possibly. Oh, I mean, they've done it before with Kane. Yeah. And, <laughs> right? And, exactly. And, and Diesel. So. Oh, God. Could you imagine yeah. two Baron Corbins in the ring at oh, the same Lord. time? No. No. <laughs> no. Pass. Uh, then you've got the Cruiserweight Championship between Drew Gulak versus Humberto Carrillo and Lince Dorado. That'll be a fun match. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Gulak's I'm, still going to win. Gulak's yes. going over for sure. Uh, you've got the Women's Tag Team Championship between Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross versus Fire and Desire. You know what? I'm gonna take I'm gonna take a fire and desire in the upset. Yeah, I'm, th- I'm thinking the same I, thing. I think yeah, they're probably gonna split Alexa and, and yeah. get her back into a singles thing here. Yeah. So yeah, I'll go fire and desire. Even though, even though I do like Alexa and Nikki together though. Oh yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean it's a nice little it's combo. A, it's but, a good yeah. change of pace. But I think they're switching the belts. Yep. Uh, then you've got the SmackDown Tag Team Championship between the New Day versus the Revival. Revival's going over. Uh, I can see. Yeah, I'm thinking the same thing. <sighs> I I think that's going to be a revival, but I'll wait till the title picture to say why. Okay. Uh, then you've got the Raw Tag Team Championship between Seth Rollins and Braun Strowman versus Dolph Ziggler and Robert Roode. See, I am just fully believing that Seth is not going to be a double champion by the end of the day. Sure. So sure. if he's going to lose one belt, it's going to be this one. 
Uh, albeit though, I think it's just kind of an odd pairing of Ziggler and Root. I just don't get it. Even when they're doing promos together, I just don't get it. Right. Yeah, I don't. I don't. It doesn't make any sense to me. But same thing. I, Seth's not going to be a double champion by the end. No. Of the uh, you've got the United States Championship between AJ Styles and Cedric Alexander. AJ Styles. Yeah. AJ Styles and match of the night. Well, easily. Well, for sure. Uh, you've got the Intercontinental Championship between Shinsuke Nakamura versus The Miz. That'll be a fun match, but yeah, and still, yeah, I don't, I don't think they're going to take it off him yet. Yeah, no, that's going to be a long term thing. He's got, he's going to have it for a while. Then you've got uh, the match everyone's excited for. Can't wait. Uh, Roman Reigns versus Eric Rowan. <laughs> <sighs> uh huh. I'm not going count on this one. I the storyline that everyone cares about. Oh, uh, double. Uh, I just, yeah. I don't know. Double knockout. I yeah. Double, count, double I, count out. I, I think I'm smelling some sort of Daniel Bryan there's, schmoz finish here. There's going to be a run-in from somebody, and it's not to like, oh, they're returning. No, it's just going to be someone's going to come in to try and interfere for whatever side they want to align themselves on. Yeah. You know, it, I can see it being Daniel Bryan to try and stop Rowan, but like he... he Inadvertently hits, hits Roman. Roman or yeah. something. There's, this is like Roman, if, if you look at it, should easily be Eric Rowan like every day of the week, even on like 14 straight days of wrestling. But there's no reason for this match to happen, but it's for the storyline. I get it, but I'm not going to be excited for it. Uh, then you've got the SmackDown Women's Championship between Bailey and Charlotte <laughs> Flair. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sorry. I still can't get over the Roman storyline. Like, I have a good discussion with Pino Comics. Shout out to them on during Raw about this. And, yeah, this, I'm it's sorry. It's just bad. It's just bad. So, Bailey and Charlotte, that should be good. Yeah. Um, I, you know what? I'll, if Bailey is going to go full heel, by the way, get rid of the wacky inflatable arm guys yeah. at the intro. Yeah. Like, I don't know. the music. I still I like it. No, no. Switch it up if you're gonna uh, go full heel. That's my thing. Yeah. I see, but I like the heel that does the. I my actions are my actions, and I'm not gonna change who I am just because of what I'm doing. You know, right. like I like that. I like the fact, like when Stone Cold was a heel, he still had the glass shatter music. Sure. You know, he was still. I'm doing me. You know, I, sure. Not that Stone Cold would ever say something like that. My God, but just saying. No, but for me though, I'm gonna say Bailey retains. Yeah, yeah. The hot and, new heel, and, and yeah, she's gonna be. Even though she lost on Monday, yeah, which yeah. is gross for a, a newly crowned heel. Right, but that's why I think she wins and retains the yeah. belt, and I think that eventually. It's her versus Liv Morgan. That's going to be the new program. Okay. okay. I'm not saying Liv is Liv is going to do something tonight as we're recording, but I say I don't doubt that that's going to be the feud to carry through Survivor Series. Okay. Okay. So I'll throw that out there. Then you've got the Raw Women's Championship between Becky Lynch and Sasha Banks. Becky's on the cover of Muscle and Fitness with Seth. Yep. Becky's going over. Yeah, I think this is going to be a good match. This could be up there for match of the night, Plus too. Plus the video game's coming out. So. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, the stars are aligning too much for Lynch, but I think the feud continues. Uh, yeah, I, I think Becky's definitely going to win, but it's not going to be like a clean pin in the ring. Like, There's going to be something that like the ref misses, like you know, foot on the rope, foot under the rope. Yeah. Something that like should inevitably break up the three count that the ref misses that continues this Some feud. Some sort of Charlotte yeah, interference. Yeah, something's going to happen that like it is, is able to keep this feud going down the road. Uh, then you've got the WWE Championship match between Kofi Kingston and Randy Orton. So Coach. this is why I think New Day loses because Kofi still retains here. Okay. Yeah, I I don't know. Like I, I think Kofi does retain. I just don't see Orton beating him, and I think because it, it builds up too much to the storyline. Because right. I think they're ultimately leading for Hell in a Cell between those two. Mm. I don't know what they're I don't know what they're doing with which, this. Which I don't know exactly how I'm feeling about it, but I I think that. 
Kofi is going to hang on. Yeah. And yeah. then maybe this finally sets up for the Big E turn at Hell in a Cell. I I don't know. I just I mean, I love and I'm all for the Kofi Mania, but it's like they got to it, keep it hot. Its and yeah, it's starting to it's starting to fade here because they didn't really catch it. I think yeah. that eventually I think I see a Kevin Owens. Yeah. Not a heel turn, but I definitely think that the heel will win the title from Kofi and then I ultimately think Kevin Owens is going to Take Ke- it and run. Kevin, you yeah. love it by mania. Yeah, I mean, yeah. for me, I think it's going to be Randy Orton. Like I said. Definitely it, an early rumble pick, Kevin yeah. Owens. Like I, like I said in the yeah. last, you know, uh, pay-per-view prediction we did, you know, for me, Kofi Mania's run its, its course. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, it was great. You know, yeah, awesome. He finally got his cha- first championship win, but, like, it's not doing anything for me at this point. You know, so I'm, I'm thinking Randy Orton. Uh, and then your main event, you've got the Universal Championship match between Seth Rollins and Braun Strowman. Seth is winning, only to be greeted by Bray Wyatt at the end of the match. I don't Ooh. think he wins this clean. There is no way no. that they have Braun go down clean no. in a straight up, no. you know, title match. With so it. I think the Fiend comes out, yeah. and interferes in this, yeah. and 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 either it's a DQ win for Seth, yeah. or the Fiend puts uh, Seth on top of uh, Braun. I'll say the pin. They definitely seem to be wanting to get Braun back to kind of where he was a couple of years ago, where like he's just the monster. He's just you know, yeah. he's huge. He's you know, he's the guy you expect to win. And and I don't see him losing clean in this match. If you want to keep building him back up to where he should be, and in, and in, in the inevitable title win, you know. But like you said, I can see with the rumors of the Fiend and being uh, Seth's next match at Hell in a Cell. I can I can see there being like you said some sort of run in. Could you just imagine Braun in the Firefly Flown House? Oh God! I mean, he t- uh, uh, Bray did go and tweet Eric Rowan when he was saying something about being free. So yeah, there are no um, strings on me. I don't um, know. I I like what they're doing. I just the Bray thing is just it's such a weird. The Fiend and Firefly. What's cool about it, obviously, is the Firefly obviously has all these like innuendos and, and yeah. little messages and stuff that you got to pay attention for. But yeah. Uh, I don't know. I just I don't get it. I'm also going to go out on a limb here. The 24/7 championship will change hands four times. Ooh, okay. We can play that game. I'm going. I'm, I'm going go. four changes. So you, are are you setting the line? Is that the line four? No, that's what I'm thinking. That's what you're going. That's All what right. I'm going with. Let's set the line at five. Okay. Probably fair. Three hour mm-hmm. show. Yeah, sure. Five times. Yeah, yeah. I'll take I'm, the under. I'm going to take the over then. Ooh, okay. Yeah, I definitely going to take the under in that. But that'll be going down on this Sunday. Okay. So definitely WWE Network or however you watch your wrestling pay-per-views. We're going to definitely recap it not next week's show, but hit us up on the hashtag. Hashtag ODPH. What is your picks for this weekend's WWE Clash of Champions? We want to know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Jimmy Gazdick from Crimson Brethren and Floodlands, and you're listening to ODPH. Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Pad, what you got for that local minute? Uh, local minute, nothing really going on. It's all quiet on the uh, local minute front. We are, of course, marching closer and closer to the start of Binghamton Devils hockey season. Uh, home first game is a home opener Saturday, October 5th, 7.05 p.m. against the Utica Comets. Uh, that is, as we record, just 25 days away. Mm-hmm. So we're getting real close. Uh, so for more information, go to BinghamtonDevils.com. So before we go into our locks and leaves, Pad, you're going to do a solo home run here, rounding those bases? Yeah, solo home run, because I saw this on the MLB Facebook page, and I just could not believe this. It's a really bizarre stat. Uh, so for those who know, Bruce Bochy uh, currently manages the San Francisco Giants and has been managing baseball teams uh, from 1995 and is retiring after this year. So f- managed from 1995 to... Uh, 
to through 2019. His current managerial record as we record is 1995 to 2019. Okay. So yeah, his his years managed as we record matches his current managerial record. Now, obviously with games left to play in the season, that will not remain the case, but for one moment in time it is and that is just really bizarre. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah, that's insane. A little like, bit. I don't even know how to figure that one out. A little bit. All right. So that being said, it's time to pick Week number two hey. on the locks and leaps. Yes. So, Pad, would you like to start us off? Sure. I'm going to start with my lock. Uh, looking at the Arizona Cardinals-Baltimore Ravens game, where Baltimore is currently a 13.5-point favorite. So I'm looking, I'm looking at Baltimore coming off a resounding win, and then you got Arizona, who tied against the Detroit Lions in week one. Uh, I'm going to look at the uh, Baltimore Ravens to win that game. Okay. And then switching to my leap, I'm going to look at the San Francisco 49ers uh, Cincinnati Bengals game, where currently Cincinnati is a one and a half point favorite, uh, coming off of a loss for the Cincinnati Bengals, and then 49ers coming off a win. I think uh, the 49ers are going to be able to pull that one out. All right. Coach? I'm going to start with my leap, which is going to be the Saints going into Los Angeles. Two and a half point dogs to the Rams. Saints win and cover. So you you want to talk about them making a statement after the NFC Championship game. That's exactly exactly it. That's exactly what's going to happen in my lock. Okay. I am putting my money where my mouth is. I called Pat out for this. The Pats going to Miami. 18 and a half point favorites. Whoa. Give me the points. Okay. Whoa. Miami loses. New England covers. Antonio Brown, career year. Don't even know if he's playing yet because it's Tuesday. 150 yards, seven touchdowns. <laughs> Give, I'm just kidding. But if he's playing, he's going to score a touchdown. I love it. I'm hyped up. I'm taking it, Pad. Okay. New England in the cover. Okay. Side note. Over, under, Pat score more than 50. Mm, under. Uh, just, just over, just under, just over. They're like, they're not like. I as much as I enjoyed the one meme I saw on Facebook where you know the Patriots might be the first NFL team to score a hundred points in a game. As funny as that would be, just over fifty. I, I honestly think if Miami scores, it is a field goal. Okay, with like barely any time left. On I was the like, because because I'm just running through the top of my head. The biggest blowout I think I can remember was when they played uh, the Tennessee Titans at home in that snow game. You know where it was like fifty nine to seven or something. I, like that. I honestly like a forty eight three game. That's just I'm conjuring that up. It will be something to see. I definitely know our Patriot fans on Twitter are going to sound in. I know so Wizard is Wondersoul. There's going to be a lot of people chiming in about this game because I know this typically when the Patriots go to Miami, it's never a good look. But this is the one that we've had one, circled one there. in five. Yeah, in Miami. Yeah. Yeah. Will it happen this time? I don't think. I think Coach is going to be right. I think it's going to be a bloodbath. To be honest with you. So for me, I already locked it in. I have never left the bandwagon, never lost. <laughs> Baker, we trust. Circle them wagons. No, we're not circling those wagons because we'll be doing that on Sunday, but I'm not taking the bills. Okay. Baker Mayfield, two and a half against the Jets on Monday Night Football. At there. It's going to be a rebound game. Uh, I definitely see them winning by six. I'll even yeah. give you that. Yeah. I'm not saying it's gonna be a high-scoring game. I could see sure, it being, sure. I could see it literally being 13 to seven. <laughs> to be honest with you, I'm not gonna buy in that much of the hype train. I was gonna say 16 10. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. yeah, it'll be a close. It'll be a closer game than people expect. And since we are recording early, sure, I am going to take as my leap mm-hmm. Tampa Bay going to Carolina. Oh, plus okay. seven. 
Okay. Whoa. So Cam Newton, I think, might win, but I, I got something about division games. And every time I've gone against Tampa Bay when I favor Carolina, uh, Tampa Bay has found a way to win. So let's see if that Bruce Arians magic hey. work. <laughs> I know about that life. Yes. So, I mean, I think for me that's probably the safest pick because this one is a really tough week, to be honest with yeah. you. Yeah. It was not. Yeah, yeah. It's not easy. I mean, I'm trying to avoid, like, the plague picking any Giants game because – Yeah. I just don't want it to hurt that much. Yeah, because there's so many questions. I mean, week one definitely had a lot of headlines. Yeah. Week two is when you really kind of find out what your team is made of, good or bad. Or not made of. Exactly. Well, that's why I say. A defensive line. It's one of those questions that, depending on who you're facing, this is when you really start getting the feelers out. And this Mm -hmm. is when you really start seeing, okay, how is this season going to go? If your team goes two and zero, you gotta be feeling pretty good. If they go zero and two, it's time to start looking at the draft, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean listen, zero and two. The Giants were zero and four and won the Super Bowl. All right, yeah. let's calm down on the zero and two. Talk. I didn't. I didn't say how much you were gonna look at the draft. You might just take a glance. I mean, not to say that I wasn't on week zero of college football looking forward to the draft, but that's just me. Right. There's going to be so many questions going to get answered in week two, so definitely stay tuned for that. Make sure to follow our Locks and Leaps coverage on our Facebook page. You can find that in all our social media links at OchoDuroParleyHour.com. The music you heard on this episode is that of Fair City Fire. They're from Austin, Texas. They're great friends of ours. We also have some great friends in Shout Out the Robots and Floodlands who are going to be doing a concert for us Friday night, September 27th. More information on that is going to be on OchoDuroParleyHour.com as well. Under the music section, we're going to have all that information posted this week, so definitely check it out if you're in the area. You can find out all our social media links there, our blogs and our parlay points, links to hashtag 607 podcast, our friends of the show, 3 Fat Nerds, Horizon 607, uh, photography by Mike Blakesley. Shout out to him, our fellow co- Robocon co-sponsor of the badges. There's so much information on RochoDuroParleyHour.com. Just go check it out after the show because that's all we got for this week. So for the one and only Padawan Jay. Thank you, thank you. For your coach, my coach, the coach, Coach Duffy. Daniel Jones. There you go. All day, every day. Didn't get it in yet. Except Sunday because it's time to circle those wagons and throw some people through some tables. <laughs> I'm your host, Ken M. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Ocho Dural Parlay Hour podcast. We'll see you next time.